It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Tom Shalhoub. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. A special counsel is now on Hunter Biden's case. Does that put the president's son in bigger legal trouble? I could see a scenario where the Department of Justice decides to indict Hunter for felony tax evasion, and his attorneys come forward and say, wait a minute, we have a contract here. It's an enforceable contract, and it says the Department of Justice will not prosecute him. I'm Alex Hogan. One deal could mean the release of five Americans in custody in Iran. The hopes and the fears around this deal. The U.S. government is going to need to find a way to deter countries from thinking of using Americans as pawns. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Will Hunter Biden have to go on trial? That's possible. After Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed David Weiss special counsel. The appointment of Mr. Weiss reinforces for the American people the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters. Weiss is the same U.S. attorney who's been leading the probe into the president's son for years, working out a plea agreement that fell apart when a federal judge refused to accept it last month, and that would have had Hunter Biden pleading guilty to two tax evasion misdemeanors and enter into a pretrial diversion program to avoid a felony gun charge. Republicans called that a sweetheart deal. So Senator Ted Cruz is not a fan of Weiss's special counsel. This appointment is camouflage and it's cover-up. Congressman Dan Muser also tells Fox. He denied access to subpoenas along the way. He gave updates to attorneys. He has shown his hand to really just be on the same team as as Team Hunter and Team Joe. House Republicans keep investigating Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings and believe his father was involved while vice president, which President Biden denies. And they believe there's been political interference in the Hunter Biden case to benefit him. Based on whistleblower testimony from two IRS agents who claim the investigation was limited. So what will it mean to give David Weiss special counsel status? I don't think it's important at all just a window dressing. Saul Weisenberg is an attorney and a Fox News contributor. He was former deputy independent counsel in the Whitewater and President Clinton investigations in the 1990s. David Weiss, unfortunately, is already compromised in the sense that he headed up the Hunter Biden investigation, which is compromised. Uh, It's a tainted investigation. The plea agreement was unprecedented, an absolute farce. And I can't stress enough to your listeners how... uh, aberrational and unusual this particular deal was, says to me he should not be the special counsel. Okay. Well, he is, of course. So the plea deal has fallen apart. He is the special counsel. And apparently there is a good chance now that there could be a trial. So there is a change, at least in the way this is going forward, right? Well, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Here's my view about that. If I were the defense attorney, this were a normal case, which of course it isn't, I would be filing a motion. Remember, there are two documents involved in the plea deal. There was the plea agreement, and there was what's called a pretrial diversion agreement. Right. Uh, 
was the part of the deal where Hunter, uh, after two years, was going to get to see the felony gun charge disappear. It would be wiped from his record. And um, that's pretrial diversion. It happens rarely, but it happens in the federal system. Well, that agreement was signed. It was signed by uh, Hunter Biden. In fact, it was my understanding the first thing he did when he walked into the court, he walked over and signed that pretrial diversion agreement. Prosecution already signed it. And so it's quite possible that Hunter's team will move to enforce that diversion agreement. Now, that's important not only for the diversion agreement itself, it means he'll still benefit from that, but it's that diversion agreement that has the unusual paragraph 15 in it, which is a potentially a very broad grant of immunity to Hunter Biden. And so I could see a scenario where the Department of Justice decides to indict Hunter for felony tax evasion, and his attorneys come forward and say, wait a minute, we have a contract here. It's an enforceable contract. Uh, and it says the Department of Justice will not prosecute him for any of the facts related to his tax issues. Okay, so that, the, the signatures on that would potentially hold. The, the judge doesn't have anything to do with that. That's correct. Now, a future judge might be called upon to decide whether or not that should be enforced or not. Again, trial judges usually never see a pretrial diversion agreement. That's another thing that was so unusual about this case that the trial judge commented upon. All right. We talked about the testimony that there was political interference. They weren't allowed to go down certain roads in the investigation at the IRS. But you've mentioned a couple of times Hunter Biden is attorney. I want you to hear what Abby Lowell who is one of the Biden lawyers, told CBS Face the Nation when it comes to how this investigation's gone on for years into the taxes and even his overseas dealings and all of that. Five years, thorough investigation, looking at the Chinese, the energy company, the other foreign businesses he did. That was not something that wasn't looked at. Think of it this way. What did this group of prosecutors, who are Republicans appointed by Donald Trump, what did they have as a motive to turn the other way to anything that they found that would have indicated wrongdoing against Hunter Biden? There was none. And that's what is missing in the equation. And attorney Lowell says there's no evidence to find no new evidence. So what do you think of all that? Abby is a, a very, very fine white collar criminal defense attorney. I don't find that he has traditionally been very effective on the PR front. And his statement is is just it's just ridiculous. Uh, first of all, there's no indication that these are quote Republicans. Weiss himself was appointed by Donald Trump. He never would have been appointed if either Democratic Delaware senator had had said no. Uh, more importantly, we know if the whistleblowers are to be believed, we know that no matter how long they've been investigating it, they haven't done a thorough job. That the agents were kept from following leads uh, that had anything to do with President Biden. And we also know, particularly if you're involved in white collar world, like I am, that's my profession, there were all kinds of things, forget about Joe Biden, forget about anything other than the tax evasion charges. There were regular, typical standard things that you do in an investigation that were not done here. Really outrageous things. Of course, the number one example was uh, they wanted to get a search warrant and, and because they had probable cause to search a storage unit that uh, Hunter had moved his things to. They were kept from doing that 
But then the agents went to Mr. Weiss and said, look, let's at least uh, wait for 30 days. They've been given a subpoena. Hunter Biden has been given a subpoena. He has 30 days to respond. If he doesn't give anything from that storage unit, we'll know he's hiding things. David Weiss agreed to that. But then it turned out that the top AUSA on the case, assistant U.S. attorney, I believe her name is Leslie Wolf, uh, that she just called the defense attorneys and said, hey, you've got this storage unit. Make sure you look at that, you know, when you respond to the subpoena. That's outrageous. That's just outrageous to do that. How much longer do you think this will take now that we have David Weiss with special counsel status? We have an election coming up. We've heard that a lot with all the Trump investigations. Now what? I really don't know, but I would say I would look very carefully to the next step by Hunter Biden's defense attorneys, because in a normal world, I think they would be coming forward and saying, whatever you do, uh, you certainly cannot charge him with felony tax evasion because that is covered by this pretrial diversion agreement and it's still in effect. The only reason I, I can think of they wouldn't do that is if somebody got word from the White House that that will be too embarrassing for the president. But your duty is to represent your client. In this case, it's Hunter Biden. That's what I would be doing. I would be screaming bloody murder and saying, what do you mean? We've got this agreement. We've got paragraph 15. Time to enforce it. Let's switch to the president himself. He is also under investigation. There's a special counsel named Robert Herr has been going through the classified materials found from his days as vice president at an office and at his home in Delaware. This dates back to maybe even in his time when it was Senator Joe Biden. For months, they've been negotiating, trying to set up an interview with President Biden. You have experience with that, investigating a sitting president. How difficult is this? Well, um, it's as difficult as the president wants to make it. Uh, we sent six letters. President Clinton, in our investigation, said he was going to cooperate sooner rather than later. We sent him six letters. He basically played rope-a-dope with respect to all letters. So we finally issued a subpoena, and then presto, almost immediately, we got an agreement to come in uh, and testify in front of the grand jury. So uh, if they want him to actually testify, and he's dodging them, there, there's an easy way to do it. They can issue a subpoena. What about question uh, and answers that's not under oath, just a, a, an interview session? An interview is fine, because even in an interview, if the subject lies, he's subject to criminal liability, and uh, he should have no reason why he wouldn't cooperate with that interview. Uh, keep in mind, you can't, in, uh, I have no reason to suspect that, um, they would indict him. You, you can't indict per DOJ policy a sitting president. But beyond that, I don't have any indication from anything I've seen that he has anything of any real vulnerability. The most that special counsel is going to be able to do is is write a report. And keep in mind, there's one big difference between all of these people that it came out uh, have kept documents uh, or have documents that they shouldn't have. What puts former President Trump in the unique category is what he did after he got a subpoena. It's one thing to have documents that you shouldn't have. Uh, you look into the all the circumstances surrounding it, do a thorough investigation if it's called for. But once you get a subpoena to produce those documents, you really 
But you, you can certainly go into court and argue and say, I don't have to produce these. I'm the president. This is an illegitimate investigation. One thing you cannot do is decide on your own that you're going to hide certain documents. And if they can show that former President Trump did that, he's in real trouble. Yeah, I mean, that is a big part of this case, the obstruction. He has two of his staffers from Mar-a-Lago who have also been indicted in the classified documents case. That is typically an easier win for federal prosecutors, correct? That area, obstruction? Yes. You know, you've heard it many times. The cover-up is worse than the crime. Uh, It is important to show a jury why there was obstruction, right? Why is he doing this? I don't think that'll be too hard in this case. Uh, Again, it's it's head-scratching. If he did, if the president did what the indictment says he did, former president, it's just mind-boggling why he would why do we do that? Saul Weisenberg, Fox News contributor, former deputy independent counsel in the Whitewater and Clinton investigations in the 1990s. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. Five Americans are in Iranian custody. Four of them were moved to house arrest last week after years in prison, joining a fifth already under house arrest. It's all part of a deal to hopefully bring them home. Here's White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre. Look, this is about um, bringing home U.S. citizens, bringing them home to their families. That's what this is about. It's not about anything else. In order to make this tentative deal happen, Iran wants the United States to approve the release of about $6 billion of its oil revenue, which they claim would be used for humanitarian reasons. It's money that had been frozen in South Korea under sanctions. Already, this deal has faced some criticism that the U.S. is essentially paying ransom that could go toward the Tehran nuclear program. Iran also wants to exchange these Americans in their custody for Iranians on U.S. soil. Well, it's not clear, Alex, how many Iranian prisoners are being held in the U.S. and would be part of this deal. This is Jennifer Griffin, our chief national security correspondent. This deal is interesting because the Iranians that they're talking about who are jailed in the U.S. are basically being jailed for having broken sanctions, meaning that they've tried to skirt sanctions to help the Tehran regime after those sanctions were put in place as part of, you know, punishment for after the nuclear deal fell apart and because the Iranians continue to pursue ballistic missiles that are posing a threat to uh, U.S. and is U.S. forces in Israel. And so the sanctions busting prisoners in the U.S. are not exactly, it's not like letting Victor Boot, the Russian, you know, uh, who was responsible for dealing weapons around the world, the merchant of Mm -hmm. death, they called him, uh, when the U.S. 
made a prisoner swap deal with the Russians. But if you look at the, we followed the cases of these five Iranian Americans who are being held in prison, Avon Prison, which was one of the most notorious prisons in Tehran, and it's where political prisoners go and, and are tortured. And these Americans are people like Siamak Namazi, who's 51 years old, and he was basically arrested on a business trip to Iran. He's He was visiting family. His father, you'll remember, was released last year. Uh, he also was taken. Bakr Namazi went to try and get his son freed, also an American, and went in 2016. And then the Iranians threw him in prison. And he was released last year because he was in such bad health and, and the Iranians didn't want him to die in jail. Uh, there's Imad Shargi, who was arrested while traveling in Iran in 2018. Murad Tabaz was an environmental activist, an American arrested in Iran, Iran and two others. And so these people really were just simple pawns. They did nothing wrong. They're hostages, in essence. And what we know from having dealt with Roger Carstens, who's the former army ranger who President Trump uh, assigned at the State Department to negotiate these hostage uh, releases, you know, and get Americans freed in various countries around the world. He was asked to stay on by the Biden administration. He oversaw the negotiations for Brittany Griner's release. Roger Carstens, I've known for a long time. And he really believes in his mission and in trying to save Americans where they are to come up with deals that are not too onerous for the U.S. You know, when you look on the face of it, this is $6 billion and a few Iranians who are in prison for breaking sanctions. But that $6 billion also is complicated because South Korea froze that money. They took oil from Iran and then didn't pay for it and put that that $6 billion basically in escrow. Other countries that had done that, like Italy and India, they had already given that money back, billions of dollars back to the Iranian government. So at least in this case, the U.S. government says, we're going to try and get something for that money that South Korea is going to give back. We're going to try and get these Americans freed. So looking at these uh, three cases, of course, two of the Americans, they've not been identified, the fourth and the fifth, but these three, Namazi, Shargi, and Tabaz, all of them have very different cases of when they were there, when they were arrested between 2015 and 2018, but they all face charges of, of espionage, 10 years behind bars. So from an American perspective, we've seen these really difficult, months-long negotiations to try to eventually bring them home. And these have not been conversations directly taking place with the Iranians. There have been a lot of intermediaries to try to negotiate for their release. In fact, Qatar has played a very important role uh, in terms of negotiating, uh, mediating between the Iranian government and the U.S. government. And remember, these the, the Iranians may have uh, jailed them for so-called espionage, these three Americans, five Americans, but three that we know the name of. But again, I've met with their families. I have yeah. talked to them. These were not spies. These were yeah. uh, pawns who were taken by Iran, hoping that one day they could get some sanctions relief. And so they probably would get this money from the South Korean government anyway, because they mm -hmm. did provide the oil to the South Korean government. And so why not try and get some Americans released in the process? These five Americans are now have been moved from Avon prison to a um, house arrest, basically in a hotel in Tehran. 
Now, we've seen the Iranians renege on deals like this in the past, and the fact that this deal leaked before it was finalized is a bit of a problem because you never know if they could send these Americans back to Avon prison and renege on the deal. And really, the cruelty and the psychological, psychologically what these Americans and their families have been through, I think that's why you're seeing someone like Roger Carson's, um, somebody who is Republican, worked for the Trump administration, a former Army Ranger, worked so hard to kind of make this deal to, to get them released. So as you mentioned earlier, part of the deal is this roughly $6 billion uh, in assets that have been frozen in South Korea. And part of the release of that is that these funds would be used for humanitarian purposes. So things like food and medicine. But is there any way to actually monitor or regulate that use? Very difficult. We've seen this with the kind of dance that the U.S. government has tried to do in Afghanistan uh, to make sure money that they provide through USAID or other U.N. aid groups doesn't get into the hands of the Taliban. But inevitably it does. So it's very difficult to track that money once it is inside Iran. But those, they will try to, you, you know, this is their means of trying to make sure that it doesn't go directly to the the mullahs but um the you know the six billion dollars is you know a large amount of money but again they most likely would have gotten it from south korea anyway so what i've heard adam smith the uh, top democrat on the house armed services committee argue is why not try and get some americans released in the process and in this national nightmare now what republicans will say is that this these kind of deals encourage countries like russia and iran to take more american hostages as pawns that's true, but they're probably going to take them anyway. So we've been down this road with multiple administrations, Republican and Democrat, where they do negotiate these kind of releases. It is arguable that it it encourages more hostage taking. And so the U.S. government is going to need to find a way to deter countries from thinking of using Americans as pawns. And hopefully they do have some relief. Of course, they're in guarded hotels right now under house arrest. But as you mentioned, Evan Prison, notorious for the the abuse and the difficult living conditions, especially after what so many of them have been through years behind bars, some of them not even being able to go to their own trial for cases of, of spying and espionage that they've been accused of. Now, when we're looking at the the amount of money that will be moved, the $6 billion, can we talk a little bit about the logistics of how this works with freeing the, this money? It's not simply freed up in South Korea. It has to move through Qatar. Yes. I mean, I think what you would see is that money would go through Qatar. Qatar is, has served as the mediator. And so, you know, that's a, a tricky dance because, you know, mm-hmm. there are sanctions on banks that that aren't allowed to deal with Tehran. So, so that is why a country like Qatar is in the middle of this. And it takes time. Uh, but also, I think time is of the essence now that the story has leaked. Uh, the U.S. government, I think, recognizes that, that you know, this needs to move quickly or the Iranians could change their minds. The other issue that, you know, as serving as a backdrop here is, of course, the Iran nuclear deal, which many critics say they don't want to see the administration rejoin a nuclear deal. And they wonder whether this is part and parcel of that. We're told that it is not. uh, But, you know, obviously, you have to look at the backdrop of what is happening. And 
um, and the Iranians continuing to get closer and closer to a nuclear weapon and, and continuing to enrich uranium and to not be under the IAEA's watch, uh, every day that goes on that they are not um, under the watch of the IAEA is a dangerous day in the Middle East. Uh, you also have the IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, who have been uh, basically pirating and going after oil tankers to try and secure money and um, oil. Uh, and they are trying to seize those tankers. And the U.S. Navy has gotten in the middle of a few of those incidents. And now you, we've reported that the Pentagon is considering putting Marines on commercial vessels in the Strait of Hormuz, especially oil tankers, to prevent those rogue uh, Revolutionary Guard units who are basically um, pirates in the Strait of Hormuz. And do you think with all of this going on, this potential prisoner release, these negotiations, this deal, does any of this potentially look at improving the very strained relations that we've seen between the U.S. and Iran? Or do you think that... If anything, it, it goes yeah. even further deteriorating relations given how much money and how much work it will take to get these Americans back. So I, I don't think anything could cause the relationship to be between Iran and the U.S. to get to a lower point. And while mm -hmm. the mullahs are in charge and while the uh, Khamenei is still uh, in charge of that government and it's a theocracy that the, the West, you know, that's causing great trouble for the, for the uh, U.S. military and others in the Middle East and threatening Israel, that while that theocracy still is in place, uh, relations will not improve. The question that the State Department and this administration and even the next administration will have to face is how do you stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon? And they're extremely, extremely close from our reporting and based on the intelligence that I've, you know, that that we've been briefed on over the in recent weeks and over the years is that the the Tehran government has not taken a decision yet. The Supreme uh, Leader has not taken a decision to weaponize uh, their nuclear, their their highly enriched uranium into a weapon. But they could do so very, very quickly. And the question is, what can you do to engage Iran, to deter Iran from going nuclear? And uh, it's a it's a dance, it's a tango that where there are steps forward and step back, but nobody thinks that this is going to lead to a warming of relations. All of those things playing out at the same time as we again try to hopefully see the return of these five Americans back to U.S. soil. Jennifer Griffin, Chief National Security Correspondent, thank you so much for your insight and for your time. Thank you, Alex. Hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it. On demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? Poor Joe Biden and his team of handlers. They just don't understand why their most recent attempt to gaslight all of us isn't working. We've learned through the online news magazine Politico that the White House is perplexed about why all their rhetoric patting themselves on the back for the economy is not convincing the American people that everything is just fine. 
The term gaslight, by the way, comes to us from the 1944 Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer film of the same name. In the classic movie, Boyer attempts to convince his wealthy wife, played by Bergman, that she's losing her mind by manipulating and undermining her perception of reality, enabling him to steal her rather fabulous jewels. Politicians do this to us all the time. In our case, our freedom and future is at stake. To name just a few existential gaslighting abuses we've endured, consider the mostly peaceful riots of 2020, assurances to this day that our southern border is closed, and how, according to Biden, we are, quote, not going to get COVID if we got vaccinated. Now, we can add the Biden administration's patronizing claim that the economy is great, but there's a disconnect between how Americans feel about it versus how good it really is. In other words, just call us Ingrid. In Biden's effort to convince the American people that we can't believe the reality of our daily experiences, his team of low-rent con artists opted to embrace the idea of Bidenomics, as though it were a good thing. They've decided the slogan will help along their new narrative, that it's not the economy that's in trouble. It's the emotional instability of Americans that's keeping us from enjoying Biden's alternate fake reality. Politico's story presents a rather frantic effort to explain why the slogan transformed as happy talk is, quote, struggling to catch on. How do they know? This CNN poll from earlier this month provides more than a hint. Quote, Biden's overall approval rating stands at 41 percent in the new poll, about on par with where it's been since the spring. His approval drops to 37 percent when Americans assess his handling of the economy and further still to 30 percent for his handling of inflation. Among political independents, a scant 26 percent approve of his handling of inflation. Yikes. We don't believe the Biden spin on the economy, not because we're nuts, but because our daily lived experience includes shocking price increases of basic food staples with the prices of gas and rent also continuing to go up. I guess they also missed a CBS News report headline announcing, quote, food prices are rising at the highest rate in decades, end quote. That report reveals... Over the past two years, egg prices have nearly doubled. Meat, fish, and chicken are all substantially pricier than they were two years ago, as well as cereal and bread, which cost nearly 25% more today than they did in 2021. As Biden traipses around the country trying to convince us to ignore the skyrocketing cost of daily living, our own government, through the USDA, warns that food prices, in fact, will continue to increase for the rest of this year and will continue to do so through 2024. Every day we experience the real-life impact of food inflation. The data I have shared with you is on the Internet. It's available for all of us to see. But for politicians, these are just numbers on a piece of paper. Human beings never enter the equation for them. We saw their man-made catastrophe full of gaslighting and arrogance unfold during COVID. And in this next election, we have another chance not to let this obscene malfeasance continue. I'm Tammy Bruce, a Fox News contributor, and this column was initially at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.